Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. Hi everyone. So today we're on week four of our series of talks going through Hebrews chapter 11, looking at the subject of faith and what it really means for us to live by faith. And one of our hopes for this series is as we begin to emerge from lockdown, this will really help us focus our attention in the right place and it will shape the life of our community in a whole load of great ways as a result. And today we're looking at three verses from Hebrews 11, verses 20, 21 and 22. I'm going to read them to us and they'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. This is what they say. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Well, what exactly is that all about and what does it teach us about the life of faith? Well, I want to start by focusing on probably the best known character, Joseph, verse 22, who by faith gave instructions about the burial of his bones. Now, this sounds strange to our modern ears. So let's begin by reminding ourselves of the story of Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. If you know the story, you'll know Joseph had the most remarkable life, sold into slavery by his brothers, eventually emerging to be prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth at that point in history. And God gives Joseph supernatural insight through dreams that there's coming on the land seven years of plentiful harvests, followed by seven years of famine. So through the years of plenty, Joseph stores up extra grain, which not only saves and feeds Egypt during the years of famine, but actually the whole of the known world come to find food from the storehouses that Joseph built, including Joseph's own family. So Joseph has legendary status, fame and wealth and glory. He is literally a superhero. He saves the world. And yet when Hebrews uses him as a model of faith, doesn't mention any of that. Instead, it talks about the destination of his bones. Why would it do that? Well, imagine for a moment Joseph's death. He'd likely have been entitled to a state funeral, I guess even a pyramid, statues erected in his honour. Instead, he foregoes all of that and says, no, I want to be buried in the land of Canaan. Why would he do that? Well, it's because Joseph is focused on a greater story. Joseph knows the promises of God that somehow through that land, the whole world is going to get redeemed and made new. And of course, we know that's because someone one day is going to come from that land who changes everything. His name is Jesus. And so Joseph says, forget the state funeral, forget the pyramid. I am living for a greater story. But this doesn't just affect Joseph's life. It's significant for the whole of the Israelite community. Uh, Imagine for a, a moment the subsequent years. I imagine that the Israelites uh, were seen as heroes in Egypt. This is the people who saved the world. And we know that's at least partly true because Exodus 1 tells us they settle in Egypt and for a while are exceedingly fruitful. But in the middle of this prosperous community lies a coffin, I guess, and an unused tomb because the bones are to be buried elsewhere. I can imagine kids growing up in the community saying, Mom, Dad, why are these bones still here? Why haven't they been buried? To which their parents might reply, this is a reminder 
that we are not to live for the treasures of Egypt, so to speak. We are focused on a greater story. Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard of a guy called John Stott. He was a brilliant church leader, actually based in central London, not far uh, from where I am right now. A brilliant author and speaker. And once a TV reporter did an interview with him and said to him, John, you've had an amazing career. You've got a first class honours degree from Cambridge. You were rector at the age of just 29. You were chaplain to the Queen herself. What on earth is your ambition now? To which John Stott simply replied, just to be more like Jesus. You see, John Stott understood what Joseph understood, that we are not to live for the treasures of Egypt, so to speak, or we get something far greater than that. We get to live for Jesus and his kingdom coming on earth as in heaven. That is where our focus should be. But then Joseph's bones take on, I think, an even greater significance for the Israelite community. You see, as prosperous as they were in Egypt, we're told a new king comes to the throne to whom Joseph means nothing. And eventually the Israelites get enslaved for 400 years, decade after decade of oppression and injustice and hunger and struggle. And yet amidst all of this pain remains these bones. I can imagine kids again asking their parents, Mom, Dad, why are they there? Why haven't they been buried yet? To which their parents would reply, this is a tangible sign of hope. Joseph, our forefather, he spoke of an exodus, a way out, an end to our suffering. And so we keep looking to the reminder because it is a promise that as bad as our world is right now, this is not the end of the story. Something greater is coming. And so that is where our focus should be. Now, let me give a little illustration here. Back in 1890, a guy called William James wrote a book called The Principles of Psychology. And one of the things he wrote about was the marvel of what it means for you and I to be an attentive being. Attention, he said, is the conscious withdrawing from one thing to focus on something else. And so my experience of life is a direct result of what I choose to focus my attention on. So, for example, if you are listening to this talk right now, and I mean properly listening, like you're not checking your phone, you're not making a cup of tea. If you are properly listening to this talk, then of the hundreds of things you could be paying attention to right now, this talk is the primary thing that is shaping your life in this moment. That is a scary and sobering thought for the two of us, believe me. In other words, none of us. No one is simply an arbitrary creature of their environment. All of us, William James would say, are shaped by the things we choose to give our attention to. Uh, in his brilliant book, uh, Competing Spectacles, which I heartily recommend by a guy called Tony Reinke, uh, he writes about this and sums it up by saying this, we become like what we watch. Or perhaps I could put it like this, we become like the stories we tell ourselves. And this happens consciously, but if we choose not to focus attention in a particular place, it can happen unconsciously as well. And there's a whole load of fascinating research on this. Uh, one experiment I cited years ago in Christchurch was where psychologists manipulated the background music in a supermarket. And they discovered that when they played French music in the background, customers ended up buying way more products from France. When they changed the music and played background music from Germany, Customers ended up spending way more money on products that weren't German. Now, what interests me is nobody is telling these customers what to buy. So why is it happening? Well, one thing that's happening is they're wandering the supermarket aisles and say music from France comes on and they begin to think, oh, la France, oh, les baguettes, oh, les saucissons, les ballons au chocolat. Apologies for the accent. 
But what goes on up here ends up shaping the way that we live as a result. Now, if you and I are susceptible enough that our lives are shaped by the background music in a supermarket, do you think there is at least a teeny tiny chance that our lives are shaped by the myriad of other things that we might choose to give attention to? Now, here's where this gets interesting for me. And this is kind of the gist of uh, Tony Ranker's book. He says this, all around us right now, a war is raging for our attention. And this battle is shaping our lives, whether or not we realise it. And I might add, this is a battle that the children in our community also find themselves in and for which they are particularly ill-equipped to handle and they need our help to. And in this battle for our attention, we're offered a lot of competing narratives. We are offered, metaphorically speaking, the treasures of Egypt. If today's an average day, you and I will apparently see six to 10,000 advertisements, all offering a different kind of life, buy this product, wear these clothes, go on this holiday, and you will find the good life. Promises which rarely live up to their expectations. But then there are other narratives as well that say this world is all there is. As bad as things are right now, there's no guarantee of a better future. We don't really have hope. Messages of doom and darkness, of negativity and fear. Or images that lead to unhealthy and unhelpful comparisons. And they leave their mark in a very different way. All of us, all of us, live amidst a dizzying, disorienting array of fearful threats and false promises. And just like the Israelites in Egypt, the pendulum can swing for us between idolising things that don't really work, the treasures of Egypt, so to speak, or negativity and despair at the other extreme. Like, what do we do? How do we live amidst this battle for our attention? Well, in the middle of the church community, at the heart of the Christian faith, is a better story. We don't have the bones of Joseph. We have something way better, a cross and an empty tomb. The bread and the wine that Jesus asked us to take in remembrance of him is not just a symbol of what he has done for us, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, and all that that's accomplished. Forgiveness, freedom from the power of sin. Jesus also says, Matthew chapter 26, I won't drink this again until I do so anew with you in my Father's kingdom. In other words, it's also a promise of what's to come in the future and in a world that is battling for our attention this is the story that we need to keep on coming back to this is where our focus should be and when we focus on this story it gives us clarity and helps us live by right priorities in the good times but it also gives us sure confidence security in the bad times the other two verses we read in hebrews chapter 11 speak to this truth but just in a slightly different way we read this, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Now, both of these stories have one thing in common that the first readers would have remembered immediately. And it's this. In both of these accounts, it's the younger son who gets the greater blessing. Jacob is the younger. He's named ahead of Esau, but he gets the better blessing. And it's the same when Jacob in turn blesses Joseph's sons. Ephraim, the younger, gets a greater, a better blessing than the elder, Manasseh. Now, here's why this is significant. 
You see, in the ancient world, there was something called the law of primogeniture, which basically meant this. It's the older who gets the bulk of everything, the inheritance, the money, the power, the estate, the bulk of it all. And this is basically to ensure the best chance of the family name being continued. You see, if you have loads of children and you divide your inheritance up equally, no one gets much of anything. So no one has enough of substance to kind of continue the family line or make a name for themselves in a world of scarce and competing resources. And so to mitigate against that, you give the bulk to the elder so they have a chance of having enough to continue the family name. The problem with this, though, is if you are not the eldest, as the majority weren't, it leaves you in a very precarious and vulnerable position because you don't have much of anything at all. In God's kingdom, as early as Genesis, the first book in the Bible, the order is reversed. And these ancient institutions of power get subverted. The younger gets blessed. The weak have hope. In Jesus' words, the meek inherit the earth and the poor in spirit get the kingdom of heaven. You see, when I focus my attention in the right place, just like Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, it means I don't have to be anxious about continuing the family line, so to speak, or what that looks like in our context. I don't have to live for the treasures of Egypt. No, I can not only live in the good of it myself, but I can be an imparter of blessing to a needy world around me, where the poor and needy get blessed and hope comes to those that don't have very much at all. And so this is why for us as a church, as we begin to emerge from lockdown, yes, our focus should be on Jesus, but it should also be on the kingdom that he came to establish. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, your kingdom come. And as we begin to meet together more and more, yes, we want Christ to be at the centre. But as a church, we also want to focus our attention on this great story where we provide care for the weak and the vulnerable. For those that have felt deeply lonely over these last few months, we want to really prioritise building communities where we welcome everyone. We want to provide comfort for those that have lost loved ones in 2020. I'm sure you'd agree we've got work to do to fight for justice for the oppressed. I guess you've seen headlines about poverty and hunger increasing as a result of COVID-19. Children and young people need mentors. The elderly need community and care. Every sector of society needs positive and creative thinkers who understand this story that though our world is struggling right now, this is not the end of the story. And as a community, we can also be imparters of blessing to those who feel like they don't have very much right now. And when we live in this story, we can also have some of the spirit of Jacob in these verses, who though he knows death is coming, the end is near, he can still joyously worship. I don't need to be anxious about what's to come. Because I have confident hope. Death is not the end. I think our world needs some of that joy and worship right now. One final illustration before I close. One of the authors I love to quote a lot is a guy called Dallas Willard, an amazing author and speaker, brilliant mind and thinker, professor of philosophy at USC in the States. Um, had the pleasure of meeting him very briefly a number of years ago. Very humble and gentle man as well. And he talks about growing up in rural Missouri without any electricity. He didn't get uh, electric power installed until he was in the last year of senior school, about 16 uh, years old. He said when the power lines got installed, it offered an incredible array of opportunities to live differently. Storing food, household chores, work and leisure, everything was changed by this remarkable new power. 
But he said, amazingly, when this new power came, a whole load of people chose not to live in the good of the power of the kingdom of electricity. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they were sceptical or cynical. Maybe they felt like, I can't afford it. I don't deserve it. Maybe they didn't want to change from their old ways of doing things. But they didn't change their thinking. They didn't refocus their attention. And so they missed out on its life-changing power as a result. I'm sure you get the cheesy Christian link. When Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, the heart of his message was repent. That literally means change your thinking. Re-ponce, rethink. I've come to usher in a new kingdom. I've come to turn the lights on. But just like with electric power, all of us have a choice. Am I going to refocus my attention? Am I going to change the way that I live to accommodate this new power? Or am I going to continue to stumble around in the darkness? I've been following Jesus for a good many years now. But I want to be honest with you that all too often I retreat to old ways of thinking. It's even happened during lockdown. It's happened during COVID-19. Fear or anxiety or a lack of purpose or doubt have crept in. But when I choose again and again to refocus my attention on this greatest of all stories, it doesn't just mean that the light gets turned on for me and I can live by worship and joy by confident hope and right priorities it also empowers me to turn on the light for those around me to help usher in a kingdom where the powers of darkness cannot stand where the broken find deliverance and salvation and where god's glorious light makes its way into every nook and cranny of creation you know as we begin to move out of lockdown and i hope meet together in person more and more and more i really believe with all my heart That God is looking for a people, he is calling a people who think differently, who focus their attention and who live in the light of that great story as a result, who do not settle for the narratives of our age, but make a conscious decision to live in God's great adventure. In the Old Testament, God asked the Israelites to write Bible verses down and tie them to their foreheads or bind them to their wrists. I guess one of the reasons he did that is he knows only too well our tendency to easily forget how good he is and how great this adventure is. And so as I finish, I just want to leave a moment right now for us to consciously and proactively decide to fix our attention on Jesus. Not on ourselves, not on newspaper headlines, not on cultural narratives, but on Christ. This is part of what living by faith looks like for us. There is a battle for our attention right now, so let's win it in this moment. And I'm going to pray now that as we decide to fix our attention on him, that Jesus would meet with us by his Holy Spirit. It's maybe you're exploring faith for the first time, and you think, I'd like to find more about living in the light. I want to encourage you, be open as I pray for you now, but on the website, click on the Get Connected button. We can be in touch this week. We'd love to pray for you for whatever you're going through right now. If you'd like to request prayer, you can do that too. We want to stand with you as a community through all that you're going with right now. But as I pray now, you might want to close your eyes as a way of blocking out all other distractions. You might want to open your hands. We say on Alpha, it's like the opposite of doing this. Like, I don't want you, God. It's like, no, I'm open to you meeting with me right now. And I'd like to pray for our church community. Why don't you join me? Holy Spirit, I invite you to come. Would you meet with us in this moment? 
And I want to ask, would you be our helper now? Help us to fix our attention on Jesus and on the kingdom that he came to establish. And I want to ask now where wrong narratives have got in, where it's led to fear or doubt or anxiety, may that be gone now in the name of Jesus and may it be replaced with confident hope and a sure security and optimism about what is to come, that all our world is going through right now is not the end of the story. And I want to ask too for a fresh sense of calling and purpose to be upon us as a people. But as we emerge from lockdown, we wouldn't be thinking, what do I do? We know, no, there's a great story that I can be a part of. And may we not just live in the light ourselves, but may we be bringers of light and hope and salvation for a world that really needs it right now. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. May your empowering presence rest on us as we worship now and throughout this week. And may we hear the call of God again. Holy Spirit, come. Point us to Jesus now. We ask this in his name and for the glory of his kingdom. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to ChristchurchLondon.org.